And Father, I pray you bless your word. And I pray that you would give me the grace to speak it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6 with me tonight. Um, I have some things that I want to share with you. If you get the video queued up um, in just a moment, I'm going to share with you about a minute, a one-minute video, maybe 45 seconds. But I want you to see something. I want to bring a comment out um, in regards to this. Uh, I, I do not underestimate the serious warnings of our Lord. Um, that he has given us in his word. When, when Jesus was, was speaking to the church and giving warnings, he was doing this 2,000 years ago. And primarily, he was, he was foretelling the things that would come in the last days that we're living in. And the apostles of Jesus in their writings uh, echoed what Jesus said. They, they were affirming these things to be true in their own spirit not that Jesus needs to be affirmed by anybody. What he says is true. But the apostles were also speaking into this, and they were giving us warnings, I believe, for the day that we're living in today, the, the warning about seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. I take that very seriously. Um, I believe this is a day that, that this is upon us. Uh, Paul's warning to uh, Paul or Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3 um, about the description of the church in the last days, which, which I just basically call it the quitter generation. Um, you just can't count on anybody, and, and things just begin to fall apart, seeking pleasure, self-pleasure, self and so forth. Paul said to Timothy, they're going to heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, um, speaking in fables and things of that nature. And I, I was struck by that this maybe the end of last year, I was struck by that. You know, how are they going to, how are these people going to heap to themselves teachers having itching ears? And because it's not like the, the teachers have the itching ears, the people have the itching ears and they're heaping. I mean, I guess when you think about that word heaping, you're just accumulating all of these teachers to yourself and I thought, who could do that? Especially in Paul's day, who could do that? Who could go out there and just accumulate all of these teachers just to myself? These are my preachers, you know. First of all, how could anybody afford them, you know, to, to be able to do that? And yet Paul said that's what they're going to do. And it, and it just struck me that Paul's talking about, he has to be talking about YouTube preachers. It just has to be because for, for so many people right now, these are my preachers and we heap to ourselves all these YouTube preachers and we just go to the preachers we like to hear, maybe the preachers that are telling us what we want to hear and we're heaping to ourselves. I'm not necessarily saying you guys, but we're heaping to ourselves our particular style of preachers. And we hear this particular vein of teaching all the time, and, and they become more important than the local pastor who's trying to give us the whole counsel of God. Not just the things you want to hear, but maybe things you don't want to hear, but things we need to hear, and we're, and we're being built up in our faith. And, and, I, and I heed that warning from the Apostle Paul that, that would come in the last days, and Today, pastors, they can only affirm. That, that, that seems to be it because we live in a generation that wants to be affirmed. I want my feelings to be affirmed. I want my emotions to be affirmed. I want the way I identify to be affirmed. And the moment that you have to correct or you have to confront or 
for God's sake, you have to make a leadership decision that everybody's not happy with, then you're quickly condemned. You could be you could be the best thing ever yesterday, and you could be the worst person on the planet today because you've had to make a a truth statement from from the Word of God. And, and people don't like truth statements today. They don't like that. We just want to be affirmed. And this is the kind of generation that we're, we're living in. And I, I want to, if you turn off the lights, I, I, I want to, I just want to quickly show you this video. And, and I don't know where you stand. You will know where I stand. I, I don't know these spotlights too. I don't know where you necessarily stand, but I just want you to see this. I want to bring out a point in about, in what you're about to watch. It's a beautiful day. Got my Bible. I'm ready to go. What say you? Can prophets have demons? Well, a Christian can have a demon, but specifically within uh, the last couple of years, there's been an increase with either prophets needing deliverance and prophets seeking deliverance. You and I both have emails and reach out to some various uh, individuals um, seeking for deliverance, which I think is a good start for uh, prophets that recognize that they need for deliverance. Uh, I think that one of the signs, we don't talk about this as much, um, th to recognize a false prophet is, is there their lack of not needing deliverance or not wanting or desiring deliverance. I think in this time, it's imperative that prophets seek deliverance. And when a prophet is in a strong delusion, they are a false prophet, but don't realize that they're false because the gift is still true. And that's because nothing on the internal, they haven't taken their car for a tune-up, a checkup, or a car wash in a very long time. And when they're in that place, sometimes it's even hard to get them out of that. Okay, so what, you turn the lights all back on. I, I'm playing that video to you because these two guys are followed by hundreds of thousands of people on YouTube. They, they, they have a very powerful influence in our culture today uh, among preachers, um, among young people primarily. They're, they're influencing young people by the droves. And, you know, I do not believe that a Christian can be demon-possessed uh, at, at all. That's, that's just absolutely unbiblical. Um, I do believe that Christians wrestle with demons. And I do believe that we can be harassed by them or there can be a type of oppression where they're just hindering us or fighting against us. But for a demon to possess a Christian or come into a Christian, that demon has to bind the strong man. And the strong man in you is Jesus Christ. And I just don't know of a stronger than Jesus, all right? No demon is stronger than Jesus. And, and so, you know, if, if Jesus can't keep the demon out one day, then he's certainly not going to keep him out the next day. And, and so, but my point is this. Here are two, two incredibly famous YouTubers, preachers, and they are telling us that prophets can be demon-possessed. Prophets can have demons. Prophets can be under a delusion and they can have a spirit in them. And, and this spirit is, that to me is, there, I wouldn't touch that. I, I wouldn't get near that kind of stuff. And Jesus is warning us that these types of things are going to come where, where this group of people is even admitting that their prophets can have demons. I mean, think about that. I wouldn't want to hear a word that any of these prophets would have to say. You know, I'm thankful for the word of God that I have to be able to refer to and, and have my strength and my foundation standing. 
So in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says this. He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles, the strategies of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints, And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. And so this is an instruction for the believer. And I want to draw out a few things out of this tonight. And I'm not really going into the particular armor, pieces that have been described here, like to put on the armor of God. Um, I love this chapter of scripture, and I believe there's so much in it that's rich for us. But I want to talk about having done all to stand. And, and I want that to get in your, your mind and in your spirit. Having done all to stand. We, we, we understand about being strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Or having done all to stand, stand therefore. And, and so we might talk about standing. We might talk about keeping our ground. But the question has to be asked... Before you have the capability of standing, have you done all to do that? Because I think that there might be a lot of times believers are very naive when it does come to the conflict with spiritual powers. We don't necessarily understand the significance and the might and the reality of these demonic hordes that are well organized and well planned and come with a strategy in mind against your life, knowing that the first blow that they make against you is not necessarily going to be successful. And the devil is not coming with a strategy that I'm going to attack you today And because you resisted me today, then I'm going to count that as defeat for me. No, I'm counting on pushback from you. But the enemy is also committed to a long-term battle with your life. And perhaps trying to wear you out. And so the question that, that I want you to really think about and pray about is, have I done all to stand Or am I just this believer that's going to go around and say, hey, you know what? I'm a Christian and therefore I'm just going, I automatically stand. But we know that Christians don't automatically stand. We know that there are those, according to Galatians, who fall from grace. 
We know that there are those who are overcome, like Demas was overcome, and he forsook Paul, lusting after this world. And so we understand that there is this real conflict, this spiritual warfare that we are in, and I want you to really think about, have I done all to stand? Now, I would encourage you to study the Word of God to find out the admonitions that we have Give, have been given to us by the apostles and by Jesus Christ in living this life that we have. I would particularly tell you to go through the book of Ephesians, verses one, chapters 1 through 5, and listen to the admonitions that Paul gives you in that book for you to be a strong Christian and ask yourself, am I doing those things? For example... Have you allowed the Spirit of God to give you wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus? Have you been strengthened with might in your inner man? These are admonitions. Are you filled with the Holy Spirit because you do? Ephesians chapter 5. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart. And giving thanks always to the Lord. Because I would tell you this. If you're not going around giving thanks to God. And making a melody in your heart. And singing out to God. And speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You're not doing everything to stand. And according to Romans chapter 1, you're actually doing things that are providing your mind to be filled with vanity and your heart to be filled with darkness. And you might say, well, I tried that. I tried that. I, I was going through depression and difficulty and I tried that praising God and doing those things. And, and it just didn't work for me. It does not work. He works. It's not an it thing that I'm after. And, and I believe that's why Paul says here in Ephesians chapter 6 to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. He's talking about two things. And I want you to understand that. We, we might just naturally think that to be strong in the Lord automatically means that I'm in the power of his might. But there's a, there, there's a difference that's denoted here by the word and. So you can be strong in the Lord and not necessarily be in the power of his might. Or you could be in the power of his might and not necessarily be strong in the Lord. So Paul says, listen, we must make sure both of those things are happening in our life. And that's what I want to just try to build in you tonight. Through the word of God. Because when Paul comes to Romans chapter 6. And tells us in verse 10. To be strong in the Lord. And in the power of his might. He has already told us. In the book of Ephesians. What that looks like. He's concluding. So he's summing it up. In chapter 6. What he's already discussed with us. At length. In the earlier chapters. And so to begin with, I want to talk about being strong in the Lord. And I want you to understand really what this means. Now, you don't have to do this. It is not automatic to you because you are a Christian. But you can have a victory in Jesus Christ. You can experience that overcoming and that joy and that triumph of God over your enemies. You can experience that. 
But a lot of Christians go from one depression to the next, from one difficulty into the next, without really seeing this explosive power of God. So being strong in the Lord, I, I, I want to bring it into your attention this way, that you can be baptized in the Holy Spirit, which is the power of his might, but not necessarily be strong in the Lord. And this would be the testimony of the Corinthians. The Corinthians had experienced the power of his might. But they were not strong in the Lord. They were referred to in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 as carnal and as babes. He complimented them on their spirit-filled life. He complimented them on the fact that they don't lack any knowledge or any gift. Corinthians was probably one of those churches that was totally explosive in the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the demonstrations of God's Spirit, but they remained babies and they remained carnal and they remained divided against themselves because they were not allowing the Holy Spirit to educate them about the personal knowledge of Jesus Christ, which is in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And so they remain carnal and they remain babes. So you can have the baptism in the Holy Spirit and still be carnal or still be a babe. So don't think that that's just automatic if you've got the Holy Ghost and speak in tongues that you are therefore strong in the Lord. You may not be. So being strong in the Lord is important for us to understand because this is what it means to be strong in the Lord. It is having the capacity... For friendly, deep intercourse with God. Friendly discussion, intimacy, communion, relationship with God himself. It's not somebody who needs the milk because some mature person who's strong in the Lord is diving into the deep things of God and the meat of God but they have to chew it up as a woman would, eat her food, digest her food, and let her body naturally process that into milk so she can feed her baby because her baby cannot eat the kind of meat she can eat. So she has to eat this healthy food so that she can nurse her baby. And, and that's the way it is with a lot of Christians. Who are not strong in the Lord. They can't. They don't have the capacity for deep. Intimate discourse. And fellowship with God. And they can only drink milk. From other people. Who have had these particular things with the Lord. They don't truly understand. The things of God. They, they don't truly understand. The deep things that are in God's heart. The longings that are in God. The desires that are in God. The communion where God can speak. And God can speak things into your life. Or speak things over your life. That begin to deal with you personally. The measure of your strength in the Lord. If you, if you want to know. Am I strong in the Lord? The measure of that is equal to your understanding and your sacrifice for the body of Christ. 
So that's how you can begin to measure your strength in the Lord. Because if it's a spiritual thing, if it's a private intimacy with God, then any of us could deceive ourselves into thinking that we've got this great intimacy with God. But if you actually have this kind of intimacy with God where you're strong in the Lord, it is going to be equal to your understanding and your sacrifice to the church of Jesus Christ. To the degree that you love the body of Christ, to the degree that you serve the body of Christ, to the degree that you give your offerings, your tithes, your prayers, your time, your fellowship, the body of Christ needs me. Because you understand the body of Christ. It's not church. It's not a social organization. It's not an institution. It's not just fellowship night. No, there, 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 there is a need within the body of Christ. And because I have this relationship with God, I understand that mystical body. And, and the more you understand that mystical body, because you're getting stronger and stronger in the Lord, the, the more that demonstrates itself through your sacrifice to the body. That's why Paul would say that everything that happens to me is for you. If, if I'm blessed, it's for you. If I'm in little, it's for you. If I'm in jail, it's for you. If I'm free, it's for you. It doesn't matter what goes on to me. Everything in me is for you because Paul was strong in the Lord. But he said to the Corinthians who were not strong in the Lord, he said to them that there is sickness among you and some of you are even dying because you have not discerned the body of Christ. And so when a person is strong in the Lord, one of the fundamental things they're going to have is the discerning of the body of Christ and the beauty of that body. And so you can kind of now begin to judge and gauge your capacity with God and your understanding of the things of God. Now, I'll give you scripture for this. This is in Ephesians chapter 3. And when you're, when you're turning there... I, understand this word in Ephesians chapter six, strong. This word does not occur a whole lot in the new covenant or in the new Testament writings. It's very rare. And the best way to understand this word strong is to understand it in a bad sense. Where strong is bad. And it's this way. Don't be headstrong. Or bold in yourself. That's the bad usage of the word. That's what you don't want to be strong in. You don't want to be strong in yourself. You don't want to be headstrong. To be strong in the Lord is to deny yourself and to recognize that in me, that is in my flesh, is no good thing at all. I do not lean to myself or my own understanding. I want to be strong in the Lord. And that's what that word means. I want to have this intimacy with him. Where all of my confidence and my ability and my knowing 
comes from my communion with my Father. And so in chapter 3, he says in, in this, this passage that we've shared so much together over the years. Verse 14, for this cause I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. So he's praying for the church, so it's not automatic because you're a believer, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. He's not speaking to the lost. He's speaking to believers who would recognize the indwelling presence of Jesus. And oftentimes in any particular believer's life on any given day, they're not aware of God's presence in their life. They're not aware of the presence of Jesus in their heart. But they can and they should. And so this is what happens when the Holy Spirit gives you strength in the inner man, then the Christ dwells in your hearts by faith and you are rooted and grounded in love and you now have the ability, you are able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, length, depth, and height and to know the love of Christ that passes your knowledge. It's too big for your brain. There's a knowing that's not natural. There's a strength that comes to a believer, but it's a strength in the Lord that has the capacity for intimacy with an infinite being. This possibility of fellowship can only come from the Spirit of God who strengthens our spirit. And then we know the love of Christ in verse 19 that passes knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. This is not just the the, the power of God, though it is power. It's ability of God as well. And then it's the working of God in you. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ throughout all ages, world without end. And so there's this power that wants to work in us, which is the means by which God through us can do things we can't even think or imagine possible. But it's to the degree that the power can work in us. And therefore, when Paul is telling us in Ephesians chapter 6... That you are actually in a combat with a cosmic force of darkness. A personality composed of what we have no idea. The number of fallen angels that are at Satan's disposal. Who come up with strategies against your life, against your home. Things that... Our world is dealing with like you just watched and you've got thousands, tens of thousands, maybe more hundreds of thousands of people that watch demon-possessed prophets 
that are, that are going on in our world today? How do we combat these satanic strategies against our life if we don't have the growing capacity in ourselves of intimate communion with God where he speaks with us and he works in us and the presence of Jesus rises up in us and then God is able to work powerfully through our life in ways we couldn't even think about or even ask him for because it was beyond our human intellect to even ask to that degree. But God does it. And when, and when you are, listen, when you are in that kind of relationship with the living God, then you could imagine the kind of strength, the presence The provision of his presence, the provision of him as father in our life. Felix so well preached Sunday morning about God being our father. Having this relationship with him in the midst of hand-to-hand combat with Satan and hell. We would be like David going up against Goliath. Why should I fear this guy? The Lord is with me. The Lord is with us. But you've got to know that we, we, we quote the scripture that the Lord is with us. But how much better it is to know that the Lord is with us. And then the power of his might is certainly the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit is revealed in chapter 1 of Ephesians. And he says this and again in verse 16. He talks about their faith in the Lord. This is the church he's praying for in verse 16. That he gives thanks for them. He makes mention of them in his prayers. And this is his prayer for them. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Now you're born again, but you don't necessarily have that. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. This is what he's referencing in chapter 6 in the power of the Lord. Which And the demonstration of his power was demonstrated when he raised Jesus from the dead and sat him at his own right hand. And Jesus is far above all principalities and powers. And so what he's telling us is this. This is the, this is the, the direct Holy Ghost coming upon your life and giving you power, giving you ability, influencing who you are, what you are, and the possibilities of what are going to come out of your life. Now, it's very hard to separate being strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. It's, it's like the double-sidedness of a coin. It's very hard to separate that. And certainly in the intention of God, he never wanted there to be a break in it. God wants us to be strong in him and he wants us to walk in the power of his might. These two things were always supposed to go together. And the more you fellowship with God and the more you know God and the more you're increasing in your spirit, man, by the strength of the Holy Spirit, the more you're receiving from God and you're going to walk in his power. That would be the desire of God. So oftentimes these things overlap because they're working together. But it is the intimacy with God And it is the power of the Holy Ghost upon my life to demonstrate God through my life in power. And so Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, listen guys, I need you to be strong in the Lord. 
and in the power of his might because there are going to be false doctrines and seducing spirits and there's going to be men waxing more and more wicked. And we're just talking in the church world. God only knows what your young people are facing in social media and on their games and on their phones with moral confusion and gender confusion and suicide. God only knows what these kids are because I guarantee you, parents and adults, we don't know the depth of it like your children know it. So how are you going to deal with that if you're not walking in communion with God where God can speak to you and say, hey, this is what your kid's doing. This is what your kid's involved with. Thank you, God. Thank you for showing me that. Because hell's attacking me and you're showing me that so I can wrestle against it and fight against it, God. And I don't have to be a statistic of defeat. Now, just to give you a little bit of background about the very real conflict that we're in. This is, just a, this is just a reference point, but I would reference this with you. Just look at the churches in Revelation. If you don't think the conflict with hell is real, and if you don't think that Satan cannot at some point in some way begin to infiltrate and really hinder and really do damage to the church of Jesus Christ, look at the churches in Revelation. And the churches in Revelation, the seven that are examined, five of them are rebuked because Satan infiltrated the church and began to influence it. Read it for yourself. We're not talking about just Men doing what they want to do. We're talking about Jezebel spirits. We're talking about Nicolaitan type deeds. We're talking about wickedness. We're talking about all types of things that were able to get into a church and begin to corrupt it. And that's not the fault of God. But it would maybe be the weariness of the people to not fight that good fight. To be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And to be able to understand the strategies of the devil and the things that the devil is wanting to do in our life or the things that the devil is wanting to do to hinder the things of God. And I would say to you this, both being strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, this is very important, both of these things are the result of prayer and revelation. You cannot get that from my teaching tonight. But I pray that my teaching will whet your appetite spiritually to go to these passages of Scripture and say, God, I want Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3 to happen in my life. I need the revelation of this spiritual thing. Spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you so that I can be strong in you. God, I need that. I want that in my life. And you hunger and you thirst and you pursue God for that. That's having done all to stand. You pursue this with the Lord. You don't just believe it's there. You don't just believe it's a possibility. No, it has to become my possibility. It has to become my testimony. Because I am in conflict with hell. And my only hope is God and his power. Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's what James says. Paul gives us a little bit more detail on how we do that. 
And then he says, you, you, you put on these, the armor of God. And going back to chapter 6, I think this is beautiful. It says, you're putting on the armor of God. And he lists these things. And, and I just want to submit to you. You know, you, you might wonder, well, how do you put on these pieces of armor? It's Jesus. It's just putting on Jesus. And, and, and more particularly, it's, just, it's the new covenant. Come out of the old covenant. Stop relying on yourself. Stop relying on your own wisdom. Stop relying on your own ability. Come into God. Stand in the new covenant. Understanding that Jesus Christ has been made everything to you. And that's what you put on. You put on righteousness and truth. And peace. And faith. The word of God is there. And prayer is there. It's just the new new covenant. That we have been brought into through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's where you stand. You put that on. This, he is my righteousness. He is my peace. He is my strength. He is my goodness. He is my wisdom. I don't have to look to myself for that. I can be weak because when I'm weak, I'm strong. And this makes no sense. But the old covenant will not teach you that. But the new covenant teaches you it's okay, it's good, it's necessary to be weak and to be broken because you're not trusting in yourself anymore. And God's power is upon you. That's what Paul would go on and tell the Corinthians. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. His power is upon me. That's the power of God, right? It's the power of his spirit to be able to live this life that God wants us to live. And so this new covenant is all about grace. It's about grace. And I, I, I refer to this, just a reference point, but in Ephesians, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Well, there you go. He credits nothing else but the grace of God. Not my part in it, not, not this, by the grace of God, I am what I am. But his grace comes with great influence and great power. Because the very definition of grace is the divine influence of God upon your heart. Working its way out through your life. And so Paul says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. But his grace was not given to me in vain. So, listen to me, beloved. God's grace can be given to you in vain. It's not that his grace is not given to you, but you don't exercise yourself in it. You're not doing everything to stand. You can be everything Paul was because you have the same grace as Paul had. But Paul said this, the grace that is given to me was not in vain. I labored more abundantly than they all, but it was not me. It was the grace of God that was with me. And so when we come to the Bible and we read these admonitions that we have from Jesus and the apostles about how we live our life, how we come before God, 
how we walk in grace. We read those things and we begin to see that, oh, these are, these are lifelines. These, these are the operations of grace and I can labor in that or I can, I can make an excuse to not labor in that. I'm not talking about legalism. But I'm going to tell you something. The, the, the admonitions that come to me from Jesus and the apostles, these are not admonitions. These are beautiful to me. Being in fellowship with the body of Christ is a means of grace. Prayer and worship is a means of grace. Giving praise to God like we do in our altar, that is a means of grace. It is a biblical admonition. It is never to become a formality. Because then it's just a dead formality. But if it's a means of grace, then it takes on a whole new dimension. And the power of God is revealed there. Not because we've done something, but God has moved upon us and we're laboring in it. And we're becoming. Tithes and offerings are means of grace. I don't have to do it. I can make an excuse not to do it. But if I make an excuse to excuse myself from church fellowship or prayer or the reading and the fellowship of God through his word or through praise and through worship and all of these. And I make an excuse for me to not have to do that. I can't blame God if I find myself in in one of those types of situations that the churches in Revelation were in where we finally suddenly find ourselves under under some type of demonic influence or battle that we're in that we never had to get into. So stand. Stand in the power of his might. Stand. Be strong in the Lord. Put on the armor of God. Stand in the new covenant. And walk in this intimate communion. Because all of these things. This is very important. All of these things. Church fellowship. Reading of our Bibles. Worshiping God. Praise. Romans chapter 1 tells us. This is what happens when the church doesn't praise. Your society. Your culture. Is going to be overtaken with homosexuality. And with suicide. And sexual diseases. And drug abuse. And violence. And murder. If you don't praise me, that's what's going to happen to your culture. Romans chapter one. And so if those things begin to happen and we look around at our church world today and we find that people are really not Christians are really not going around on a day to day basis doing Ephesians chapter five. They're not going around speaking to themselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and singing and making melody in their heart to the Lord and giving thanks. When, when we could be doing that and this and, and Jesus dwelling in my heart by faith where his power is there and his fellowship there and his communion is there and he's affecting my life. Now, I want to say this to you. I really appreciate and I'm very thankful for you guys. Uh, and I mean this sincerely. I'm very thankful for you guys pursuing God the way that you do. I'm grateful to be among a people who are thirsty for the Lord. And I believe that you are thirsty for the Lord. I, I, I am more than I ever have been. I am moved by how thirsty God is for us. How much he loves us. How passionate he is for us. And our desire to come to him and meet with him and to grow in him. Because everything that we have, every admonition that we have as believers in the word of God. All of that is to come 
as a result of our, our strength in the Lord and in the power of his might. All of that is an overflow or an outflow or a result of my living relationship with Jesus Christ. And I, I don't know what this, this year is going to bring us. There's, I can tell you this, there's going to be more heresy. There's going to be more false prophecies. There's going to be an increase and a rise and more types of movements and ministries that go off and deceive. And anything's possible for us. But if we will gather together to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, to root ourselves in the word of God, to seek the Lord through his word and by his spirit, then we can be successful against the engagements that we have against the enemy. We don't have to fear his strategies against our life. I don't have to fear his strategies against my family. I don't have to fear his strategies against the church. If I walk with God, God is going to speak to me. And I believe that has a lot to do with being strong in the Lord. I can, and any of us could see the gifts of the Spirit work through our life. But I also want the intimacy and the richness of his presence in our life. And whatever this year may bring, understand it will bring conflict. You will be engaged with the enemy. And you need the body of Christ. And you need the Lord. I was, um, I'm going to close with this testimony. And Jonathan, if you want to come up, I'm going to close with this testimony. I've shared this a long time ago, but I just want to share it with you tonight. Something that happened to me, and I, I believe it is a, a, a description of, of a time in my life when I was being made stronger in the Lord. I, I've got a long way to go, but I believe I was being made stronger in the Lord. God was ministering to my spirit by the Holy Ghost, and I was growing in my spirit and growing in the things of the Lord. And I was serving with the School of Christ, and I was given an invitation to go to New Mexico and minister there. And so I accepted the invitation, and I was going with a group of people. Our fa my family was going with us. And before I went to this, uh, about two weeks, three weeks before I went to New Mexico to do the ministry, the Lord started speaking to my spirit. And he said specifically about three men in my life that I needed to ask forgiveness of. All three of these were from a ministry relationship that went sideways. And I felt as though I was innocent in everything that happened. And the Lord started to deal with me. And he said, I want you to go to them. And I want you to ask their forgiveness. Because there is a lot of pain in the body of Christ from this situation. Three different men, three different ministry situations. First situation was in regards to a person that lived here in town. There was a real big problem with us. 
And the Lord started to deal with me about it. And the Lord said, you can't go to New Mexico and preach until this is done. And I, I just said to the Lord, I don't want to do this, but I'm willing to do this. But you got to help me do this. And, and I could just sense in my spirit a, a, a yearning for God's help. And one day I walked out. I, th- th- this particular person did not know where I lived. To my knowledge, they did not know where I lived. And I was walking out of my house and I was on my way to the garage and I spotted this person outside of our house in our circle, but he, but he wasn't facing my house, but he was outside looking in another direction on, on the, if y'all been to my house, he's on the circle right outside my driveway. I'm like, Oh my, I ran inside. I said, Carla, you never believe he's standing in our circle. And she said, well, you better go do what God said. I said, well, you think it's God, <laughs> you know? And, and so I said, if I, I'm, okay, I'm, I'm going to go out there. And if he's still there, then I'll do it. But I'm going to go to the bathroom first. I'm going to do that. And so all that happens, and I go back out there, and now he's facing my house. So I just went out there, and I approached him, and I basically said to him, I would like to ask your forgiveness. We are brothers in Christ. And conflict has come between our life. And I want you to forgive me for what I've done. And the ways that my life has hurt you. We're brothers. We're Christians. And I'm asking your forgiveness. And we hugged in that circle. And we forgave each other. It was beautiful. So wonderful. Two days later, I'm in a restaurant here in town I'm sitting there eating and with a couple of people that are with me and there was somebody in the restaurant that was there that I knew but I didn't know that he was there and so when he's leaving he stops by the table and he just grabs my shoulder and he he says Lee it's good to see you and he dropped something on the table intentionally and he walked off And so what he dropped was a little piece of paper and I opened it up and it was the next man with his phone number who didn't live in Baton Rouge. And I knew God is doing something. So I called that man and I said, I'm I'm asking if you would have lunch with me, my treat. I just want to spend some time with you. He agreed. He's a minister out of New Orleans. And we sat and we had lunch and had a wonderful time. Asked his forgiveness. We forgave each other. It was beautiful. It was really beautiful. Now the third man lived in Mexico City. 15 million people. I have no idea how to get in touch with him. He's all over Mexico all the time. And I said, Lord, I, I, I have to go to New Mexico tomorrow. And I, I just, I, I don't have his number. I don't know how to reach him. 
I don't know what to do, but Lord, I'm willing. If, if this is what you want, I'm willing. So th- I had to leave. So the next day we get in the car, family, and we're, we're driving to New Mexico. Haven't talked to him. Don't have his number. But I'm just, I'm just going. So we drive into San Antonio. We decide to go into out to the river walk and, and eat dinner. And so I park the car and I walk through the mall with my family. And I open the doors to go outside to the river walk. And there he is with his family sitting at the table. And when we saw each other, we were both in shock. And my family witnessed all of this. We were both in shock. He jumped up from the table and approached me and I approached him. And before we said anything, we just hugged him. And we wept. His name is Moises. Moises Duran. Moises, I'm on my way to New Mexico. The Spirit of the Lord told me that I cannot go preach until I was... I made right situations with three people. You're the last one. He said, Lee, when I saw you, I was shocked. My wife and I, with our kids, have been called of God to move to Morocco share the gospel and start a mission among the Moroccan people. But God told me that I could not go to Morocco until I made things right with you. And here we are on the river walk in San Antonio, a man from Mexico City and a man from Louisiana being led by an almighty God. Restoring relationship and fellowship. The Lord taught me how precious his body is in a revelation. I had foundation from the word of God, but I tell you, I got a lot of revelation in those three weeks of my life of how greatly God loves. I learned so much about Jesus. And I'm still learning. And it's the greatest education of my life. I think I understand a little bit of what Paul meant when he said at the end of his life, towards the end of his life, oh, that I may know him. That I may know him. I'm just learning. But it's so wonderful. And beloved, whatever this year brings, you have to be strong in the Lord. You can't let your emotions get the best of you. You can't let your circumstances get the best of you. You can't be a person who falls apart and breaks apart because something doesn't go your way or somebody treats you badly or somebody offends you or something's not perfect or something's not right. You need to be strong in the Lord. And you need to be filled and baptized in the Holy Ghost because you're fighting principalities and powers and like it or not, 
you have no hope outside of Jesus Christ. No hope. And I promise you this is going to be a turbulent year in our nation and in our world. You need to hear God. You need to be led of God. I want you to stand with me and forgive me for going so long. Can we just draw near to the Lord and just just sing this, Here I am waiting. I'm waiting for you, Lord. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You need to be strong in the power of His might. Don't put this off. Don't deny it either. Just jump into this. Just expose yourself to God tonight. Declare that you need Him. But it's a revelation and it's a prayer. Come and do that tonight. If you need to slip out because it's late, I understand. But if you can stay just a moment, come into this altar with us while we sing it. We're just going to wait on the Lord for a moment. We're going to leave here with God. We're going to go with God. God's going to go with us and we're going to draw into his presence and his communion. And I want to be intimate with God. I want friendship with God. I want to be a friend to God. Talk to him, hear him, abide with him, love him, like him, enjoy him. So close to the Lord, Jesus dwelling in my heart by faith.